Investors Chronicle. Welcome to the IC Interviews. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today is Blake Hutchins, co-manager of Troy Income and Growth Trust and Trojan Income Fund. Blake has worked at Troy Asset Management since 2019, before which he was at Investic Asset Management, where he also ran equity income funds, and he has also managed UK equity funds at Columbia Fred Needle. So UK equity income has been a difficult space since the outbreak of COVID-19 because many UK companies have cut, cancelled or deferred dividends. Have many of the holdings in the funds you've run done this and what have you done about them? Yeah, you're right. It has been a tough time for dividends in the UK. Um, and the Trojan Income Fund is, is known for um, being particularly resilient. You know, we, we look after the downside first before making sure we can grow our investors capital and, and dividends and so unsurprisingly we've we've been more resilient than than most funds and our investors would expect that we would expect that and i'm pleased that in 2020 that that was definitely the case so of the 39 holdings that are in the fund today actually 23 grew their dividends even through the pandemic uh, eight held them flat and so um, that leaves eight that out of the 39 that that, that had to take some action um three cut um, which are probably permanent cuts from which they can regrow. And then Fiverr uh, uh, suspended their dividends. Um, and some of those companies have actually come back to, to paying dividends already, whether that's Next or Domino's Pizza and the like. And we're probably waiting for three companies, only three of the 39, to um, return to paying dividends. And those are companies that have been particularly impacted by the pandemic, uh, Compass Group, WH Smith and Intercontinental Hotel Group. So um, I'm pleased to say that, you know, by and large, we've been pretty resilient um, and, uh, and, and that's what one should really expect from the Trojan Income Fund. Um, in terms of what we've been doing about that, look, I think it's very important when you run an income fund not to let the, the, the income or the dividend um, tail, uh, as it were, wag the dog, which is you know, ultimately the, the overall fund. And so we haven't been furiously um, you know, trying to sell companies that have cut their dividends um, in order to replace that income in the short term. And it's something we're, we're grateful for our investors for showing a bit of patience with us on that because we don't think it's the right thing to do. Um, I'll give you an example of Intercontinental Hotel Group, for example, is a company that we didn't actually own going into the pandemic. And it cut its dividends. Of course it did. It owned uh, the franchise behind Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn Express, Crown Plaza, Regent, Kimpton, uh, the Intercontinental Hotel brand itself. And of course, I mean, you can ask anyone that's lived through the last couple of years. Um, they've been very badly impacted by the pandemic. But the business, we think, is going from strength to strength to strength. Um, we really like those brands. We think there's a great opportunity for, for growth. Um, for Intercontinental Hotel Group in China and the US in particular. And so the fact it's not currently paying a dividend is, is, okay, is okay by us. And um, we think that um, there's plenty of companies in the fund that can grow and pay their dividends. And we're willing to be patient in, in some of these companies that we think are going to be long-term, uh, very healthy and good dividend growers, good investments. Um, and so we'll stay patient whilst, whilst they uh, repair their cash flows and, and, and dividends will follow. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like promising. It was despite that Trojan Incomes Fund's dividends were lower in 2020 than in 2019. Do you know what you yet, um, do you yet know what you expect to be able to pay for 2021? 
Yeah, so we have um, Trojan Income has a, a, a financial year end of, of January, so it'll be January twenty two to the year to the year to January end of January twenty twenty two. There's really two reasons why the fund um, paid a lower dividend last year, um, and why uh, investors shouldn't expect such a fast rebound as 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 some may. Uh, the first one is because we didn't fall this far, um, and actually it was a a, a pretty it was, as I just described, it was a minority of companies that actually had to cut their dividend on account of the pandemic. It's not that big a factor for, for the fund. It will help when those dividends come back, which we expect to happen. Um, not, they haven't all happened this year. Um, most of those, some of those dividends will, will come back either next year or the year after, and, and we'll be patient there. The bigger factor, which is, is the real reason why uh, the fund's dividend um, was reduced, was really around um, us wanting to recharge the dividend growth within the portfolio on a long-term view. And it was using the volatility of the pandemic to, to do that. Uh, typically, we turn over you know, a, a very limited part of our fund in the, in, in the year. We're, we're, we're unashamedly uh, long-term investors. But when there is volatility and when there is opportunity, you know, it's, it, it's, it comes rarely and we've got to take advantage of that and so really the biggest reason why the fund's dividend fell last year was because of some of the changes we made to the fund and i'll give you a few examples we basically traded out of some companies that we think are not going to be dividend growers in the future that have reasonably high dividend yields um, but whose business models have have have, have really um you know, have really eroded somewhat over the past few years, and we don't think have great prospects ahead of them. So, uh, on the other hand, we use the capital from those sales uh, to invest in what we think will be the dividend champions of the future. So, I'll give you an example. You know, we sold BP uh, and Shell, and we bought uh, a company called Croda, which is a UK specialty chemicals business. It's got a fantastic history of growing its dividend 29 years straight it even grew it through the pandemic and it's just grown its dividend 10 percent uh, and we bought that at a great price we bought it we started buying it at 47 pounds it's i think it's north north of 90 pounds now and we just had to take those opportunities and that comes with the impact of diluting the funds dividend in that year we make that change but it is absolutely in our view the right decision to make for long-term dividend growth and and for total returns and there are a couple of other examples, such as selling imperial brands, which have a very high dividend yield, haven't grown for a very long time. Uh, and we bought Diageo, which has uh, been one of the top contributors to our returns uh, of late. And then finally, we sold Lloyd, Lloyds Bank and bought um, investment platform um, that uh, Integrafin, which is an investment platform that, that serves uh, financial advisors and, and again is, is growing its dividend comfortably double digits. And we're really excited to, uh, about on a long-term view. So um, again, we we thank our investment uh, our investors for their patience. Um, and what we have to do in terms of the dynamic for this year and to the year to the end of January 2022 is we need to annualise those changes. If you think about collecting um, two or three dividends from these higher yielding companies last year and replacing them with lower yielding companies, it does take a bit of time for that to wash through on an annualised basis. So don't expect um, particular dividend growth for the fund to the year to the end of January 2022. The good news is when I look at the fund, the vast majority of companies are growing their dividend very nicely. And we expect to resume from January 2022, uh, very nice, healthy uh, dividend growth 
led by some of those companies I've just named, but uh, others as well. Now, you also run Troy Income and Growth Trust, which plans to pay a lower level of dividend in respect of its current financial year, 1.96p, as opposed to 2.78p in the previous financial year. Why is the trust doing this, especially when, like you say, UK dividends seem to be coming back? And being an investment trust, it has a revenue reserve. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I hopefully, from my previous answer, it it, it can be pretty clear. Um, we are very keen on dividends from investment trusts reflecting the economic reality. So you're right, you could in theory um, you know, convert capital into income um, and, and pay the dividend that you want to. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's absolutely a, a benefit of, 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 of investment trusts that you have that dividend smoothing. And we will see that dividend smoothing coming through from the investment trust versus um, the open-ended, uh, in that the dividend didn't fall as far, and uh, and and the dividend dynamics going forward, you know, could could well differ from 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 the open-ended um, because of that flexibility and, and and that ability to 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 um, to smooth dividends. But I think it's very very important for us, um, as I said, for the dividends that the trust pays. Um, to reflect the economic reality of the dividends that the underlying companies in which the trust invests um, pay us and, 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 and generate themselves. And so the reason why the fund, the trust dividend fell, uh, as I said, was not because of the pandemic. You can look through that um, and, and that's exactly what we're doing on that front. The real reason why the, 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 the funds, the trust dividend fell um, is because of um, these changes that we made, BP into Croda, Imperial Brands into Diageo, Lloyd's into Integrafin, which, which has that effect. And it would just be not reflecting economic reality if we didn't re reduce the dividend. So what we would like to believe, and, and again, um, I've had very supportive investors who, who understand this, um, is that now this is done, now the dividend has been recharged of, of, of the trust, along with the Trojan Income Fund, you know, we're now in, in, in we should be in uh, dividend rebuild mode, albeit you know, from, from, a, from a gradual base. And um, I'm assuming that the, the trust and the funds portfolios are fairly similar to each other? They're fairly similar, um, absolutely. This is, uh, if you looked at the two, you know, there's, there's huge overlap and, and huge commonality as, as you would expect. You know, the differences between the two are a couplefold. You know, one is the ability to, to smooth dividends. Um, uh, the second is um, you know, the ability to, to gear the trust. Uh, we don't currently have gearing on, on the trust, but we could, we could do that. Uh, we have a little bit more uh, ability to invest in some, um, some overseas companies, um, a little bit more in the trust than we do in the open ends, um, probably to the tune of five percentage points of, of, of capital. And then finally, um, you know, there's the ability because it's a smaller mandate uh, versus the Trojan Income Fund. Um, and again, this is very much of the margin. Um, we have an ability to invest in, you know, a few, a few more medium-sized companies or, or have weights in those medium-sized companies that are slightly larger than, than the open end. So absolutely, they feed off each other, the same investment process, the same philosophy, uh, with some subtle differences that we think are appealing for investment trust investors.
the funds you run look to strike a balance between income and growth. How do you strike this balance and how much importance do you place on each? Uh, that's absolutely right. We are um, interested in total return. If you think about the Trojan Income Fund over the past 17 years, it's basically delivered 8% compound for investors. If you look at the investment trust uh, in over 10 years, we've delivered, uh, I think it's the best part of 9% uh, compound to investors. And that comes from two parts. It comes from uh, income and income growth, very importantly. And it also comes from, from capital. And we will never ignore one in order to prioritize the other. It's that balance between the two that is so important. And that balance can, can change over time. And right now where we are in markets, we think it's incredibly important. And we were saying this ahead of the pandemic, is not to overweight the component that's gonna come from income. It is still going to be a healthy component of that total return. If you think that we're trying to achieve that, you know, the best part of double digit total return for, for our investors over a long period of time, um, it's important there's a good contribution from income. But at this point in the market cycle, when valuations are reasonably rich, when there has been a compression of yield in every asset class, I can see that from you know, property to bonds to equities, it's really important in our view not to overstretch the yield at this point because you run the very real risk of choking off growth and of potentially impairing capital on a permanent basis because that yield is comes with too much risk and so for us today if we're thinking about that you know that best part of 10 percent total return eight to ten percent total return which we've achieved over 15 17 years um we currently think that the right income uh, balance of that is two and a half to, to three percent um, and it's important that that two and a half to three percent can grow um, and we would be very suspicious or it's certainly not on central to our philosophy or it's not uh, possible uh, or, or, or prudent in our view to strive for for the dividend yields out there you know four five six percent i think you know, that's from a different era now, um, Troy Income and Growth Trust and Trojan Income Fund have underperformed the FTSE Allshare Index and their peer group averages since the start of 2021 and over some longer cumulative periods. Why? The biggest reason for that, um, which you know, no one likes to underperform, um, but we're incredibly clear on the Trojan Income Fund and, and the Troy Income and Growth Trust of what um, we're trying to achieve for investors. And first and foremost, the first role for us at Troy is to produce a resilient total return for our investors. And therefore, if you look over that period we've been running these funds and, and the trust, um, we have a rich reputation for protecting capital um, in, in market drawdowns. And we did that in uh, the first quarter, the second quarter of 2020. Um, and we're very pleased that the, that the fund um, stayed true to its, uh, to its you know, historic um, footprint. The consequence of that, uh, unfortunately, uh, it would be great to be able to, to get both sides of the trade and to be able to protect capital and then be able to, to lead the market on the way up. But that's just not realistic, quite frankly. Um, in a low, a low turnover strategy, that focuses explicitly on higher quality companies that have an ability to produce resilient, reasonably predictable cash flow and dividend growth. Uh, it is inevitable that uh, we will lag a market upswing. Um, and that's really what's happened since the start of 2021. 
Um, I think it was November really where this, this rotation into more cyclical companies started. Um, the vaccine news that came out in November where frankly everyone was uh, amazed by um, and, and hugely relieved frankly by the, the fantastic efficacy data that came out from various vaccine trials. It was really as, as, as clear as anything as you get in investment markets. It was almost like a big banner that, that, that was, that was, uh, that was um, put up that said, it's now okay to buy cyclical companies because the downside has been taken away. And you saw a very violent four months whether when in November, December, January. And I really think it culminated in February, quite frankly. And there were four months where the market really did rotate as people repositioned um, for this new normal, which was a world in which COVID was less of a threat to economies and, and to people's lives, quite frankly. Um, and that's really uh, the reason why the fund has, has underperformed. The majority of that came uh, in that period from November to February. And since then, I think the market has since moved on. It's looked beyond just COVID and it's got back much more to, to fundamentals. What are the companies that are going to become more valuable in the future? For various reasons and and the fund and the trust has actually performed pretty well if you look from from april onwards uh, and that's very much in line with, with 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 what i would expect and we think from here a broadening of market returns you know much more level playing field much less fascination or fixation on uh, the boom and bust from from covid and instead uh, an appreciation of, of fundamentals and and, and 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 of businesses just becoming more valuable which which suits us Yes, I mean you were saying, um, you know, um, obviously having thought, is, is this typical of a, a you know, of a, of a typical market conditions in which the funds underperform and outperform? It is. If you look, uh, if you look, you know, post the financial crisis, um, it's another feature of of, of the fund, and uh, is that we protected capital far better than the market, but it's very hard for us to compete um, or to to lead the market back up. So if you think about, um, for example, in 2008, uh, the fund um, drew down less than half uh, of that uh, of the market, but it only captured uh, about half of the market's rebound. Um, and we saw that again in, in 2016, having massively outperformed the market in 2014 and 2015, when market returns were basically zero to negative. Uh, we again lagged the upswing in 2016. Um, and uh, and uh, it's just a function of it's very difficult for, for us to have it both ways. We, we preserve capital on the downside. We invest in higher quality defensive growth businesses. And it's the more cyclical businesses that, that frankly, we would never invest in that tend to leave the market upswing. And then from there, uh, we think it comes down to fundamentals, which is where I think we're at. Um, yeah, you've been saying that you know you focus on quality. What, what's your definition of a, a quality company? There's uh, there's there's various elements that we look for in, in in businesses, and first and foremost, it's something that means we can be pretty sure that the company will one be around for decades, will be able to grow for decades. It doesn't have to grow at super fast rates, but it has to be able to grow. For a long period of time and very importantly that a company can earn good economics whilst it grows uh, and, 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 and whilst, whilst it endures and so the, some of the things that we really look for from a quantitative perspective is that ability to grow at high 
and attractive incremental returns on capital. And really what that means, you know, in, in, in layman's speak is there's something about the business that means that it can um, be highly competitive in, in its industry and in fact leading in, in its industry. So we love to find things like uh, whether that's brands, uh, benefits of scale, network effects, um, things about a business that means that we can be pretty sure it's going to be around, it's going to be able to grow, and when it grows, it's going to make uh, attractive returns as it does. I mean, I'll give you an example. A, a company like Croda, um, which is now a top 10 holding in the Trojan Income Fund, as I said earlier, we bought it about a year and a half ago. You know, from the outside, uh, you may just think Croda is a, is a chemicals company. What's so great about being a chemicals company? It tends Chemicals companies tend to be cyclical. They don't tend to make great margins. They tend to be quite capital intensive because they need huge um, factories and, and, and the like. Um, and they tend to be, as I say, commoditized and, and competed away, the, any, any excess return. But, but, but Crodo is a speciality chemicals business and it's absolutely fixated on producing um, reasonably small quantities of speciality chemicals that go that are that are absolutely vital ingredients into end products. So they produce the magic ingredients that go into high-end beauty products or into anti-aging cream or into shampoos. And as we know, you know, the beauty and personal care industry is incredibly non-cyclical um, and it's actually uh, growing and it has very um, good growth, particularly in, in, in sustainable ingredients, which is where Crowder specializes. And they also have a, a fantastic life science business, a healthcare business, where they're actually providing um, some of the uh, stabilizing uh, chemicals and, and, and solutions um, that go into um, to vaccines and into um, next generation um, drug technology. And for any of uh, the listeners who have had the, the Pfizer vaccine, um, that's an mRNA vaccine. It's a brand new technology um, that is incredibly exciting in, in the vaccine world. Uh, and it's Crowder's polar nanolipids that actually stabilize um, the active ingredients in those vaccines. So um, they're hugely important. They're, they, they produce these uh, polar nanolipids in incredibly high uh, levels of purity um, which gives us all confidence or, or, or many of us confidence to, to, to take these vaccines. And the beauty of it is that you know, that, that ingredient that they produce, whether that's into anti-aging cream or into mRNA vaccines, um, it's a tiny proportion of the end cost, but it's an absolutely vital ingredient. So they make great economics. There's hugely high switching costs. There's often regulation involved in that. And that means that Croda has incredibly sticky revenues, sticky cash flows, uh, and therefore it's produced, you know, um, 29 years of, of unbroken dividend growth and we expect many more. Now um, you obviously look for a number of these attributes including um, the ability to deliver growing cash flows into the future. Which particular attributes make you confident that you know a company will be able to do this? I mean you obviously you know, no one knows the future when you're sort of examining a company to invest in you know what is it that makes you think yeah I think they will be able to do this? You know a lot of it is uh... We, all, we obviously crunch the numbers. We obviously do a lot of research. Uh, we speak to competitors, we speak to peers, we speak to the company. I think so much of it comes down to culture. And you know, we all know businesses, uh, whether that's companies that we like to, you know, that are suppliers to us or companies that we like to source ingredients from or, or source goods from, 
or companies we've worked for in the past. And we know when a company has a good culture. And when we spend time with businesses and we take a long-term approach, I think culture is absolutely fundamental uh, to, to that. And, and, and Crode is a good example of that. You know, it's, it's, it's a business that's, that takes a long-term approach, that its employees are proud to work for. There's a lot of shareholding throughout the company. They have a very distinctive uh, culture. And it starts from, from the top. And there are many companies that, that, that we own that you know, culture is, is, is one of their competitive advantages. So there are many things that we look for in businesses. I think the, 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 the tangible things or the, the quantitative things wouldn't surprise your, your, your readers or your listeners. But really meeting with companies, spending time with them uh, and understanding their culture, I think is absolutely um, at the top of that list. Is there an example of you know, when you got it wrong and, and what did you do about it? You know, we're long-term investors and uh, we are patient, but sometimes you have to vote with your feet. And there are absolutely examples uh, where, we've, where we've got it wrong. I'm glad to say we get more right than we get wrong. Sometimes if, if an investment case has changed or something has happened that has really undermined our investment case, um, we will walk away. Um, I think one example of that earlier in the year is uh, in our investment in IG Group. Um, now we'll see whether it works out uh, to to the company's benefit, but they undertook a piece of capital allocation. They bought a company in in the US that that we didn't really like. We didn't like what they were doing with our investors' capital. Uh, we had a very good engagement with the company on that. It was a very detailed engagement, but we could see that we were at loggerheads, frankly, and that you know the company were going in a direction, and we wanted them to. We thought it was best for them to go in a, in a separate direction. So we actually made um, a positive return from our investment in that company. But, um, um, but as I said, you know, sometimes um, we vote with our feet, and that's one example. Um, just thinking um, about, I suppose, companies in you know, difficult uh, positions, um, with financial pressure as a result of COVID-19, and in some cases, a deterioration in financial strength um, in companies. I mean, has it been harder to find investments which meet your strict criteria? I think a lot of things, when we take a step back from the pandemic, and as I say, I think it's appropriate now, particularly for, for investors when they're thinking about you know, investing with a, looking forward, is obviously, the impacts of COVID are, are going to be with us uh, for quite a long time. There will be choppy waters, but I think it's important to, to really move our mindset away from being COVID obsessed or the next lockdown, what's that going to do for markets? Um, you know, the next opening up, what's that going to do for markets? The market has had a long time now to, to get their head around this. And instead we've got to think about fundamentals. And I think we're in a world where, um, the pandemic has accelerated various trends and there are companies that in my mind are quite obviously becoming more valuable and there are companies that are quite obviously becoming less valuable and I think there may be exceptions if you if you are willing to trade if you're willing to be nimble on your feet um, then fine you can make money in a, in a declining business um, if you are very smart but fundamentally, for the majority of an investor's portfolio, you want to be pointing in the right direction. There's no point uh, as a starting point, in my view, 
of, of, of acknowledging that you're going to be running up a down escalator. This, that's, that's very hard work to do repeatedly and to do over a long period of time. And so that's what we try and do. We try and point in, in, in the direction of companies that are becoming more valuable. And whether that's the digitization of, of various industries or if that's the death of analog businesses, um, you know, I think it's very clear that, that, that opportunities are presenting themselves um, in both directions. So I would refute the argument that it's becoming harder to find these investments. Um, and I think the exciting thing is that the new growth opportunities are appearing as much as some of the old ones are disappearing. I'll give Next as an example. We own Next and a lot of people will still think of Next as that high street store um, that, that they've known for, for decades. But even today, there's a really interesting announcement that Next um, have uh, Next basically have a, a unique opportunity in the UK because of how well invested their their digital business is, how their e-commerce offering is 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 so um, so large now that and it, and and it dominates the the physical retail business. They they earn more from online now than they do from from physical retail. But they're starting to use that infrastructure, their logistics capabilities to serve third-party brands. And today they've signed up an, an agreement with Gap. And I'm sure we've all heard in the news that, that Gap are closing their stores, that Gap are you know, on the verge of you know, financial distress and, and are exiting the UK market. Well, they've actually signed up an agreement today for Next uh, through their total platform um, offering, which is a, a reasonably new offering from Next where they basically provide the website, the uh, logistics, the delivery, um, everything for these brands that have value. The brands have value. It's just the, 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 the means of distribution, the, the physical retail, the stores, the property costs, the lease obligations, the logistics operations, you know, having to, to, to offer free delivery and the like is absolutely killing some of these brands because they have sales, but their costs are too high. And so therefore, if you can outsource um, the logistics, the website, you know, the returning returns policy and the rest to a company that can afford it, and next, in this case, um, there's a really interesting opportunity. So I think, you know, I think we can get down about some of the things that is impacting some businesses, but there's some exciting growth opportunities if, if, if you're willing to invest behind them. Uh, and I think next is a great case in point. Have you sold any holdings as a result of a decline in quality? Yeah, we 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 do we do. I mean, it's um, it's something that we're always judging. Um, it's not just about whether an absolute return on capital or absolute profitability is high. It's the direction of that. You know, a, a very poor investment um, would be, which is why I'm so against. Uh, you know, uh, for us, um, very screen based investing. If I was to to look across the market and very simply screen for some of the things that I've said I look for, uh, such as an ability to grow, if I looked at historic growth um, as, as, as one of my key metrics, if I looked at high return on capital or high margins as, as, as one of my inputs, and I just bought every company that had grown and had grown at high margins, that's there would be some absolutely terrible investments in there because the past is not um, is not the future and so it's our job to make sure that we're investing in companies that are becoming stronger that their incremental margins their incremental returns on capital their incremental growth is is, is very healthy so we've absolutely done that um, 
you know, I've spoken about one that's, that, that, that comes to mind already. Um, and, uh, and I've spoken on the opposite hand on something like Next, which we think is, uh, is, is kind of deepening its competitive positioning and, and, and has um, opportunity as a result of that. One of your uh, core managers on the income funds, um, Francis Book, is due to step back at the end of this year. How do you plan to manage this? Will you get extra staff resources in place or what are you going to do? Yeah, this has been a very seamless uh, handover. Francis has, has uh, been managing the fund um, for, for 17 years now. He is also an executive director of Troy. He was one of the, found, uh, the first members of, of, of the Troy investment team and is a, is a shareholder in Troy, as, a, as am I. And so Francis has always had two roles within Troy. One has been managing the income fund and second has been uh, helping to manage the business. And so whilst he won't be doing the former anymore, managing the Trojan Income Fund, that will be me and my team, uh, he will still be doing the latter. So he is still uh, very much um, involved in Troy and, and will be. And I think that's very different to a lot of fund management successions where there can be an abrupt um, change of manager or you know, the manager and the new manager have completely different philosophies or, you know, or incentives for the business. We are completely aligned um, in continuing the great work that the Trojan Income Fund has done for the past 17 years. Uh, and for me, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still in my 30s, late 30s. I have 20 years in which to run this fund and, and we'll be doing so with exactly the same philosophy and process that, that we've followed so successfully over the past 17 years. And we have been investing behind the team over the past five years um, in the, in, in, and, and longer, frankly, in the UK, strategy i will lead the capability but we also have hugo year who's managed um the trojan ethical income fund um since its inception he's worked with francis for over 10 years we've worked together now for two years i have fergus mccorkle who's uh, our lead analyst on the strategy who's been with troy for, for over three years uh, and is a fantastic talent uh, and also anaruda Kulkarni is currently working on the strategy he's a member of the, the troy investment team and we have an investment team of 12 um, and whether that's you know, the well-known members of that team, such as uh, Sebastian Lyon uh, and Francis, or if it's some of the younger members who I've spoken about, uh, along with um, Mark DeVos, you know, Charlotte Young, um, George Biney, uh, Tom Yoert, um, you know, Ferguson and Aruda, we're, we're very well resourced. And so I don't think investors should, should be concerned about uh, this transition. Uh, and frankly, they won't see uh, any difference um, in terms of, of, of what they receive uh, from the fund. OK, thank you, Blake. A really helpful update on the prospects for UK dividends and your funds. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.